do more of what you love in 2023. Meetup is the place where passions meet friendships. With communities for every interest, you're bound to find new friends. There are thousands of Meetup events happening every day. Download the Meetup app and join in. Hey there! Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Welcome to Big Blend Radio with Nancy and Lisa, the mother-daughter travel team and publishers of Big Blend Radio and TV Magazine and Parks and Travel Magazine. You can check it all out at BigBlendMagazines.com. So, can artificial intelligence learn morality? That is the question of the day. Along with, de- de- I know. <laughs> Along with delving into the limits and powers of AI, Ariel's Island is a new action-packed legal thriller by author Pat McKee. It takes readers on an odyssey that reinvents and reinterprets Shakespeare's The Tempest. Ariel's Island is out uh, through Hearthstone Press, March 31st, 2020. Uh, let me tell you, as soon as you start reading it, you're going to be in it. And it moves so fast and um, can't wait to chat with him. He is here on the show with us today. I encourage you to go to his website, patmckeeauthor.com, and that's M-C-K-E-E, patmckeeauthor.com. So welcome, Pat. How are you? I'm great, thanks. I've been looking forward to this all week. Well, we have two. <laughs> we have two. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sorry, but getting right into the book, I mean, it's like I said right before we started recording this, I'm like, man, this is like one hell of a bloody introduction. I don't think, <laughs> I mean, it's like you, the visuals. Um, don't give it away. <laughs> I know. It's very dangerous. We're always worried about this, especially with the thriller and yours moves so fast. Um, it's really, you, you're going to sit there and get into it. And um, there's a lot of drama. It's, it's dramatic. And it's interesting because it is a court, like, it's a legal thriller. But I always feel like courtrooms and, you know, plays, like I know this is based off or inspired by The Tempest, courtrooms, the legal side of things, it does kind of tend to be Shakespearean in that way. You know, the drama. I, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think, I think the, uh, the great drama in courtrooms can draw from Shakespeare, and uh, this book certainly draws from Shakespeare. So I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. And also, don't you wish that in America, because I know you're, you're an attorney too, don't you wish in an America that, you know, everybody was wearing wigs when you go to court? Because that <laughs> would do I, it better. I don't think I'd look so good in a wig. I oh, really don't. Yeah, but, but, it'd be, but it'd be very cool. I, I have to admit that. I know, I know, because that goes into the whole, you know, added drama of it all. Nancy and I always, we have, uh, Ward Heinrichs is our uh, resident and employment attorney. He's always talking about all the changing laws in California, which is like nonstop. It's crazy. I don't oh, yeah, I, don't, I would never want to practice in California. You guys got it bad out there. Yeah, I know, man. It's like every day, especially this independent contractor test and freelancers are getting mad. There's an uprising oh, yeah. on it all. But every time because on the show, we're like, don't you want to wear a wig board? And <laughs> no, he doesn't want one either. <laughs> yeah, well, I can't blame him. What about the robes? The robes. I mean, when we lived in Kenya, and I had to go to court in Kenya, and, and they had white powdered wigs on and yeah. these big robes and... Um, they all look like Batman or something. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. See, this it's is funny. Well, let's let's get into Ariel's Island. Number one, I like the the title of it too, because it, it, and also Ariel, 
um, you know, Ariel is like, she's like Alexis or Siri, you know, and I know people that talk to them and this happens in, in uh. Ariel's Island. People kind of have these relationships with, with their little talking agents there. Right, right. Yeah, so um, the, the whole premise of Ariel's Island is that Ariel um, becomes uh, very human-like and her, the complications, and I'm not going to try not to give it away. You've you've read it, but the the complications arise from the fact that she is very human-like. But the one thing that the book posits is that so far, artificial intelligence has not been able to grasp morality. Yeah, that's that's the morality part is interesting because, again, you know, when you think about AI, like. What I, I mean, just even the, the driving car thing, remember that started up and everybody is like, oh, that's really cool, but it's not really cool. What happens if, you know, the car, you, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched um, Keeping Up Appearances. It's a British, old British co comedy with Hyacinth Bouquet. And as yes, her husband's driving, yes, he's, yes. he's always going, mind the pedestrians. Now that's kind of like Ariel, right? In a way, right. mind the pedestrians. But what if the car just suddenly says, you know what? I feel like, you know, hopping on the sidewalk there and knocking out a pedestrian. I mean, because it, it is almost like they have their own brains, but it's not quite. It's kind of weird. That's right, the right. Way, it's creepy. Well, let me give you what I think is a, a really solid example. And this came from uh, an opinion piece in the New York Times several weeks ago. But th this is a very real possibility. And that is we turn over to a supercomputer one of the most pressing issues of the day, and that is global warming. How do we solve global warming? And let's just say we turn that over to a supercomputer and the supercomputer super figures out, well, I know exactly how to solve global warming. We just do away with human beings. <laughs> and and supercomputers control the power grid. And all they have to do is flip that power grid off for human beings, and in about a week, we'll be eating each other. Okay, oh, you wow. know what? Now that's creepier than Hyacinth Bouquet's, you know, yeah. car deciding, <laughs> I'm getting annoyed with her voice, I'm going to knock someone over just to annoy her. So that, that's, that's messed up. Like, well, and it's a, very real, it's a very real possibility, but it points out the, the, the essential problem. Can we teach artificial intelligence morality. And the, the, those, of, those computer programmers out there know that computers only do what we instruct them to do. And so the question is, is, what morality do we instruct artificial intelligence on? So was Ariel, like, are there programs like Ariel in the legal world? Oh, yes. Yeah, there are programs like Ariel in the legal world and, and becoming more and more prominent every day. Now, I won't say that there is a, a, a program that uh, takes the shape of a, of a beautiful female and works for you, but um, there are uh, programs out there that, for example, in the very first uh, uh, part of the, uh, of the book, I explore the idea that Ariel can write, help uh, the protagonist, Paul, write a brief. 
And there are programs out there right now that can help you do that. That but, I don't know. You know, when you, <laughs> you, when you, call, you say it's artificial intelligence, it, that, that to me is, it, it's not artificial intelligence. It's intelligence from a human or several humans who fed it into an inanimate object. So the intelligence isn't artificial, just the object is. Does that make well, sense? Well, artificial intelligence, I mean, the, defi the definition, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's basically mm -hmm. machines doing something that humans can do, such as um, uh, language recognition, high-level reasoning, and those sorts of things. And, of course, we have uh, computers today uh, that can do that. Mm. Without See, being programmed? Well, they got to be programmed, but the, one of the more intriguing questions is whether these computers can be taught to learn. In other mm -hmm. words, they can teach themselves and program themselves. And when they, when they can, I think we've that's reached a pretty high level. That's creepy. It is right. creepy. That's the, the whole global yeah. warming thing is creepy because that means, oh, I mean, we are a huge part of the problem of global warming. And there it is. It's like, you know, they're like, dude, look at you. Look what you're doing. No one's fixing this. I'm going to take you out, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, but this is this goes almost it's almost like sci fi in a way. Yet it is a real thing that's happening now. And I think some people are just creeped out because there there is that side of inanimate objects that feel real. You know, there's that, um, I don't know, kind of like the boogeyman can get in there and then start dictating <laughs> what's going on, you know? It's like I, a, I, I don't know about the boogeyman. Well, the, I don't know. The devil's going to get in there and start, like, you know, dictating <laughs> what's on. So I think there's that element for some people that um, it, it has that. But tell everybody a, an overview of Ariel's Island in regards to the, the plot of it because I don't want to, I'm, I'm not trustworthy. <laughs> of course you're trustworthy. I'm not on that. I'm just going to tell everybody and then, you know. Okay. So just a, a brief, um, the elevator pitch of Ariel's Island is this. It's a legal thriller about a young lawyer who um, is framed for the murder of a judge. And he enlists an artificial intelligence program to help clear his name and help him rescue uh, his love interest, uh, Melissa, who is also implicated in, uh, the, in the murders. Now, the story unfolds in, it's a, uh, it, it starts in Atlanta. It unfolds on uh, some of Atlanta, uh, Georgia's uh, more prestigious um, islands off the coast. Uh, it takes a jaunt uh, to the Bahamas and ultimately resolves itself in Atlanta. So it's pretty much a southeastern uh, locale uh, of the of the book. But the final resolution of the book raises this issue about just how far artificial intelligence can go. Mm. And then bringing in the Tempest mm. side and having that inspiration. I think that's interesting because that dates back to what, the 1600s and you right. think about Shakespeare. I, I love it when this happens when you've got these two different, you're, like you've got the future, the present and the way, way back when all kind of connected. 
and it, that just shows hum, like humans in you know how we are and i also think it's important because um i don't i worry about you know shakespeare's work it's like you you know music certain you know writers and musicians that they're not lost in the shuffle even though they're great they can get lost in the shuffle right as a charge nurse you can be a confident and dynamic leader who supports the nursing team and guides their patient care grand canyon university's rn to bsn online degree program equips you with strategies that prepare you to manage the ever-changing realities of healthcare while maintaining focus on family support and patient outcomes what do you think making a difference in healthcare looks like GCU offers over 250 high-quality online programs like this one. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. And so one of my um, target audiences for my book uh, is educators. I've made uh, a lot of uh, talks to um, uh, teachers of high school English um, and using Ariel's Island as a gateway to introduce them to Shakespeare because Ariel's Island has tremendous parallels to uh, The Tempest, not just uh, the name of Ariel, and just to refresh your recollection just a little bit on The Tempest, Ariel in Shakespeare's play is a spirit, a mm -hmm. very powerful magical spirit, and at the end of the play, the magician, his name is Prospero. He releases Ariel as a reward for Ariel helping him out. And nothing ever is developed about what happens to Ariel when Ariel is released. So what I took my inspiration from is that part of the play and to try to answer the question, okay, what happens when a very powerful spirit is released into the world? Mm. Let See? the genie out of the bottle. It is right. the boogie, it's the boogeyman. <laughs> no, she's not the boogeyman. I know, I know. <laughs> but you know, see, but then that also brings in that you know when you talk about you know based in the southeast, there's always this mystical thing that happens in the southeast. In in I, I, that's what I love about southern fiction is there's always this that like it's like I was saying sci-fi earlier when you think about AI and everything, it's not quite sci-fi. It is not. You can't put your finger on it. And that's the beauty. It's this shifting, what is that? <laughs> you know? Well, I'm glad you appreciate uh, Southern literature. And I hope that my, um, my book is, is a humble addition to the, the, the great tradition in Southern literature. But it does partake of a lot of the, uh, the, the tropes of the South, if you will, the, mm -hmm. um, the uh, there's a, a very uh, prominent character who is a, a retired GBI agent who lives in the Okefenokee Swamp. And so he's part of this, this story. So now, have you been to the swamp, Okefenokee Swamp? <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah, of course. Cool. I'm oh, jealous. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very on, cool. I've, it's mm, been on it my bucket cool. list for like since I was a little kid. Like, well, you can't be creeped out by alligators and snakes if you go to the Finoki. No, we dig them. We, we love the swamps. And we were just in Louisiana in that area in Arkansas, and we didn't see any gators. This is the first time that we've been to Louisiana, not seeing gators. But we used to live in the panhandle of Florida, and um, we, they're cool, man. 
So, oh, yeah. And I never got to the Okefenokee Swamp. It's like right there. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. Going. I mean, the Okefenokee is just like up the river, the, literally up the Suwannee River from the, the Big Bend area of Florida. Man, we got to go. We got to go, Nancy, this year, 2020. We're mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. Hey, when y'all go, call me and I'll go with you. Yeah. You cool. know, you know um, books forward. Uh, JKS Communications, right? Um, they've just changed their name and they've just, they're growing so amazing. They're our partners in, in literature here. And uh, they sent us as part of our tour where Nancy and I travel full-time documenting parks. They sent us on a story mission to document literary stories as we go. And um, we just uh, interviewed Sid Ballman Jr., who um, is, in, you know, friends with them, too, partnered with them. Uh, who written? He's written his historical fiction on West Texas. Um, I listened to I listened to y'all's podcast last night. Oh, right on with Sid Sid Ballman at Seven yes. Flag. Everyone, amazing, amazing read. It as was well. it was amazing, and it's excellent. And it, what a great book! Oh man, incredible! So we were talking like when we get to West Texas, we've got to he's we're going to call him up, and we got to do you know the story that connects to his his story. So when we get to your I'm going to say neck of the woods, right? Yeah, in the neck right. of the swamp. We're going to call you and we're going to go and do something so you can be part of our literary map of stories. Hey, that would be, that'd be wonderful. So I, are you going to, when you go with Sid, are you going to ride a camel? You know, that's the thing. I love camels, man. They, they do. Yeah. And they stink, but I, I do. I, I love them. I love them. I, I like camels. I don't know if I would ride a camel. I feel kind of, I'm weird about I've that ridden now. one. I've you, done that once, and I, now I'm at, at the point where I think it, it's kind of mean to ride animals sometimes. Yeah. Well, I can want. tell you, I, I never anticipated that my discussion with you would get into <laughs> talking about riding camels. But, well, we um, can play with gators. I mean, we've got yeah, gators. So right. We'll go from camels to gators. I know. Everything happens on the show. Anything can happen. I mean, you've got air. And by the way, the front cover of Ariel's Island, like you just right there, you know, something's up. Like, it's well, like, cool. It's cool, isn't it? I like that. I like the front cover a lot. I, like, cool. I love it. I love it. So the, the cover was inspired by a really famous book cover. And that is the book cover for The Great Gatsby. And oh. if you remember that book cover, it has the eyes. Mm. And so the this book cover has the eyes of of Ariel, and uh, I'm really glad you liked it. You know, I I the whole thing to me is I'm not I don't want to give it away. That's the danger part here. But <laughs> I was like, keep keep you keep keep my tongue in the mouth here. But uh, you have also um, won you know best manuscript uh, for for uh, Ariel's Island. Um, you've got that twice. Uh, 2017 2018 best manuscript sample um and that is through the atlanta writers club right. so how long have you been working on arrows island because there is a lot in it i mean you really i mean i know that and i want to talk about being you know a litigator and also being able to write fiction it moves so fast and you've got details in there and i know you have to be that way as you know as an attorney to know you know read between the lines and get all of that um, so I want to talk about that connection, but how long have you been working on it? Well, I, I'm, I'll tell you, this, I, this project has taken a long time. I, I looked at, the, at it the other day, and I've been working on this book for 10 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what led you to writing a novel? Is that something you've always wanted to do? Well, yes, 
But what specifically led me to writing this book is I have a lot of friends who tell me, uh, Pat, uh, we, you really have a great story in your background. Um, you ought to write a book about it. And so I started out writing a memoir, um, and I found it to be a little bit dark, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what I did was is I turned to um, writing uh, fiction, and I made the protagonist in this book somewhat uh, with a, sim a similar background to mine. Mm. Wow. Mm. And also, you know, when you think about Paul's, you know, mom and and all of the, the yeah does that touch back to you in your childhood well yeah um the um not to give too much away but, the, <laughs> <laughs> but, the, but the but the protagonist in this in uh, ariel's island is uh, a young lawyer named paul who grew up in an orphanage he graduated from uh georgia state university got a scholarship to emory law school and worked in a firm in atlanta and that is pretty much the trajectory of my background. I, mm. I, my parents died when I was young. Um, I grew up in an orphanage in South Carolina. I put myself through um, college and went to Emory Law School. And I've, my, my professional life has been uh, successful, um, modestly so. And uh, many of my friends have said, well, you know, it could inspire others uh, to tell them that, you know, kids that um, grow up poor can can be successful. So that was the impetus for the book, but it obviously took off in a, another direction. Well, but at this okay, <laughs> number one, I think it's it's really an important story to tell that because um, I think when you, especially in a younger life, there's things that get in your way. There's obstacles, and we all face obstacles through our lives. And if you don't face obstacles, that means you're not living, right? Or, you know, something is, right. so, something's not right. But um, you, there's going to, and you definitely, you know, being in an orphanage, at, you know, especially in the teens, and then deciding to go, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to go for it and, and do things. I think that's incredibly inspiring right now um, that, you know, people, I, especially the millennial side, you know, it's like kind of like you can do things, you know. Um, I think that's really important uh, for, you know, just even putting yourself through college and, you know, that whole part of it. I, I feel like there's a, there's a, I'm not going to say millennials are lazy because I know a lot of millennials that totally rock and go for it. But I feel like we do have this side of, I don't know, lethargy, lack of inspiration. And I wonder where that comes from. And I think that sometimes we need these examples to remind ourselves, even no matter what age you are, that you can do something if you make your mind up to do it. Uh, I, I really believe that. And one of the things, and I want to mention this to your listeners, one of the things that I'm doing is 10% of the after-tax profits of this book will go to uh, Thornwell Orphanage, the school there. Oh, very nice. Awesome. Awesome. And, and that's where you went? Yeah, at Thornwell Orphanage, Clinton, South Carolina. Right on, right on. So that's really nice. I mean, because to give back too, right? So here, here's an inspiring story we can learn from, and then you're giving back as well, and that's another lesson, you know, an inspiration for people to do that. Nancy? Yeah, I was just going to ask you, when you're um, describing your characters and giving them that uh, personality, how much of what the character physically is going to look like um, tells the personality? 
you know, because sometimes when you're reading, they'll say, oh, well, the person had a wide open face. And then in your mind, you might think, oh, the person's going to be generous or they're going to be good hearted. But if they say he had a narrow, squinty look, then you're like, oh, he's going to be evil. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yeah, I think um, novelists certainly, certainly use the um, the look of characters to convey meaning. And I certainly did so in my my book, but I just want to make mm -hmm. sure you you know that if this book is ever made into a movie, I want mm. Tom Cruise to play me. Right on. <laughs> he can he can jump from helicopters too. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Well, you know what? I love that because he. Well, Paul Paul is a go getter. I mean, he he, and and he, kind of a humble human being too. Yet smart, going for it, will work really really hard at at his career. Um, but he does have that edge of humility in him. Right, right. And not only an edge of humility, but what I wanted to convey is something that, uh, that many of us who've grown up in, in humble circumstances deal with on a daily basis. And that is that, you know, someday you're going to get found out that you're really not worthy. Oh, <laughs> that, <Ouch>. sucks. <laughs> that sucks. That sucks. <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> It does suck. Yeah, it does yeah suck. you're right. And how do you get through that? By knowing yourself. You right. Know? You, you, you know yourself and you have confidence in yourself. And eventually, it, I'm 68, almost 69 years old. Eventually, you, you develop some confidence that, well, yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and that's how you have, to, you have to know yourself, dig deep. But that creates part of the drama. Because if you don't know yourself and dig deep, right, and get your confidence, that's when you know, people can attack you even more, you know? Absolutely. And, and, and the, your worst enemy can be yourself. Yeah, because mm. you actually end up working harder than other people have to. And I think when you really are working harder, you, uh, you actually learn more than a person who has everything just handed to them that doesn't mean anything to them. So they, okay, maybe I'll learn, maybe I won't, but it doesn't really matter. I'll get a degree no matter what. You know, right. kind of thing, and and then um, so you get through school and you get degrees, but then when it comes to the ability or the talent of applying what you've learned, that's where I think the difference is. Absolutely, and and I hope that the character in this book, uh, Paul McDaniel, exemplifies what you just said—that mm -hmm. the hard work, humility, and mm -hmm. ultimately being able to succeed on a multitude of levels. Mm. That, and that goes back to, you know, your experience as an attorney as well. Um, reading people, does that, did that help you develop his character, even though you're, you're in tune with your story as well? There's that balance, you know, right. where, yeah, but able, being able to read people and understanding, you know, where to take the jab and where not. Right. <laughs> Sorry, right. I'm going back to Shakespeare and there's always sure. blood in Shakespeare, Right. Right. Right, right. No, the, um, you asked me, um, you know, if I've always wanted to write a novel. Um, and I've always wanted to write, but it's taken a long time for me to be believe that I um, had something to say, that, hmm. th that I had that ability, as you call it, the ability to read people and then to express um, something meaningful about that. And it's taken, you know, a long time in my life to feel like, yeah, I, you know, I've gotten to a point where I think I can convey something 
that's worthwhile. You got integrity. It's well, integrity. Yeah, you know, that's what I'm saying. You're just reading it is it moves, and I think that is you know it moves from the first page. But something that can move, right, where you're still getting the details in, because I'm blonde here. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <I should laughs> so is so is my wife, and so is my daughter. See so. now, you know, it's like see, that's so wrong to say in the Me Too movement, right? <laughs> Do not say these uh, jokes anymore. But no, they're, they're, I'm just kidding. But you know, the ability to, to have details, because that's what a legal thriller really has to have those details, otherwise, eh. but you have them in there, but it can move fast, and you can take it in, but you also have moments where you can stop, think, and feel, you know, so to me, that, to be able to have that flow in a book, and the dynamics, that is a hard balance, and that, I think, is going to come, because you took the time and said, you know, I have to have something to say. So that's the integrity. So I appreciate that. Well, I, I appreciate you recognizing that. And, and uh, it, the book really is a fast moving, fast paced mm -hmm. book. It's got a lot of action in it, even though, you know, it deals with heavy topics, the issue of morality and that sort of thing. But um, just to, to mention one or two things that your readers might be interested in, I was, I just opened the newspaper this morning, the Atlanta Journal, and there's an article in there about the Google CEO, Sundar Pichai, who was addressing uh, the European Union and talking about the need to regulate AI um, and to make sure that it's used in a moral way. So, I mean, this, what we're talking about here is as, uh, new and as as interesting as today's headlines. Mm. See, that's that. I like that. But then again, you still got the tempest side going. Hey, we're back here. Right, <laughs> you know, right. I like that balance. That's and that is it, the true thing. I mean, I don't think this topic's going to go away for a long time. I think this is going to be this is going to be the decade of AI and what's going on and how well, to balance it out. For sure, and balance um, another. Um, issue is um, the 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 balance that humans have to have in implementing AI and whether it's going to supplant human labor. And yeah. th there was a, a a book review in a New York Times uh, review of books this weekend, uh, this Sunday, and the book is called "A World Without Work" uh, by Daniel Suskind. And it's talking about what happens when artificial intelligence mm -hmm. replaces um, human labor in large sectors of the economy. Mm. And, and it's an interesting thing because you start thinking, okay, well, we're going to have to change jobs, kind of like going from coal to solar, you know, that kind of, you know, switch around with what's going on. It's change and change scares the heck out of everybody. But it's it happens on a daily basis, you know. It's you can't get past it. But it's a big changeover. And if we're with the job force is changing, where what what are the new jobs going to be? Is it going to be creating more AI? And eventually, you know, they do shut off the power grid and we eat each other. <laughs> like you said, I mean, is that where we're going? Because eventually, is that all we're going to do? Is create more computer stuff when? Nancy, Nancy and I have been talking about this for years, and it feels that way now in regards to 
the internet and wireless, we look at the 5G network where some people are screaming out like, hello, that's cancer causing, but hey, we're doing it now and people want what they want. They want, it's like fast food. That's what the internet and AI are kind of going into that zone where I wonder about the health of it all. You look at all this technology, is this going to, I think some of it is really positive for the environment. But some of it, I think eventually we're all, I don't know, our hair's going to be standing up on the edge. We're going to look like Phyllis Diller by the time. There's also, there's also this side of, of um, because we're still human at this point, um, we haven't quite integrated with vacuum cleaners yet. But it's the idea of I didn't make the mistake, the machine did it. Ooh. Because. Yeah, because I think we're already half there. It's like, oh, my computer ate my email. Right. I didn't make the mistake. The the machine did it. You know, it's like, like we have lost control already over our computers. Well, one of the things that um, is, uh, I think, almost counterintuitive, or at least is surprising to some folks about artificial intelligence, and that is the belief. And uh, I think it was Lisa that mentioned this about. Um, fast food and uh, the belief that um, where artificial intelligence is going to replace human workers is in those low-skill jobs such as, as fast food. But that's not the case. Where artificial intelligence is going to replace human labor is in my field, uh, the legal field, the medical field, engineering, and science, in the higher reasoning um, professions. Uh, that's where uh, artificial intelligence is going to have its most profound effect. Ooh, like in medicine too, because it's right. surgeries. Ooh. It's happening that way. Yeah. And then what happens if it is, okay, no, pull the plug. That's it. We're out. <laughs> I mean, that's where the morality comes in, right? And it's, yeah, there, sure. there is, I just wonder then what happens, you know, even now look at, you know, things like Grammarly, right? We use that as, right. you know, as you write, you put it in there and then you go, well, how do you know if it's bland or not? Who, 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 who are you to right. tell me about that? <laughs> you know, it's like, who are you to tell me what this and that is, you know, and it's. Grammarly's a, a you know, um, I don't use that program, but I know people that do use that program. It's annoying. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> it anticipates, I understand it anticipates what you would actually write. Yeah if you put in the right yeah. things and then it comes out and it tells you if you've got errors and all that. And it's, it's interesting because they also want to, you know, upgrade you with things. So it's like, it's reading a sale and using that to, you know what I mean? It, that's, it's kind of interesting how that all these things work. And if you kind of sit back as the human being and look at how this is, look at Facebook, right? Isn't that another form of AI in a weird way with their algorithms and then absolutely so you know here it is now we're going to take over with these political ads and I mean and right now facial recognition is is oh. one of the more scary applications of AI that is that is weird I mean then Facebook wants that to happen right that, and that's they're they're um, a repository of obviously Facebook is a repository of a lot of photos of human beings that can be scanned and determined if you know what their identities are so that if you are passing through the Atlanta airport 
a scanner can uh, identify the fact that, oh, well, it's Lisa coming through here. And all of a sudden, all of your um, privacy pretty much has flown out the window. Wow. You know, um, well, how about if it gets it wrong? Exactly. Yeah. Then you're really even worse. Yeah, yeah. Right. Even worse. Now you really have to be somebody else for the rest of your you, life. You have to have plastic <laughs> surgery and have Botox put in. You know? <laughs> It, I don't know that AI has yet uh, figured out plastic surgery and Botox. Well, Kim Kardashian's going to have a good time. <laughs> but, 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 you know, the other thing, too, you know, it's interesting when you talk about that. Um, so, you know, as we travel, we interview restaurants and restaurateurs, and, you know, we're talking about employment law. Well, so all, like, restaurant, um, all the, the payment stuff and ordering stuff, you know, that whole system has changed. Um, and now... There's all these systems where as a server, you, you know, to ring up a, you know, put in the, the order, it's using, you have to check in using your fingerprint. So now your fingerprint is at work. Like, that's interesting. I mean, they already have your social security number, but now your fingerprint is attached to every mm. order that you make. And when you, when you clock in for work, they're using your fingerprint. Yeah, I think there's a lot of applications of AI in the employment area that are, uh, are challenging. And again, back to my point in the book, and that is we need to make sure that applications of artificial intelligence follow some moral code, because if they mm -hmm. don't, they are going to end up um, discriminating against people on on improper bases, going to end up um, harming people for no reason at all. And we've got to have some boundaries for the use of this program. You know, it's interesting because you think about um, all these uh, people imprisoned, wrongly imprisoned, right? And DNA is now proving that they weren't the bank robber or the rapist right. or whatever. Right. But this is kind of like going to be the switch around. Now we're going to get a bunch of people in prison for nothing. And we're going to have to use AI to get them out and AI put them in. It's going to happen. Right. What, what if, what if <laughs> one of the applications that uh, law enforcement uses is whether or not AI can predict criminal behavior? And if it Ooh. does, Ooh. If, it, if it says, okay, well, I think Lisa is going to walk into this uh, Walmart and steal a lipstick, um, <laughs> Is is Lisa going to be arrested in the parking lot of Walmart? See, this is now getting weird. Okay, so now, yeah. given that, given that, okay, so you've got Paul, right? You've got, you know, Errol's Island here, so, and we're talking about Tom Cruise, right? And I think <laughs> Tom Cruise would be a good good one because, uh, oh yeah, what was the, the show or the, the movie, Show Me the Money? Oh my gosh, yeah. Show Me the Money, the yeah, it was about a sports uh, yeah. agent. Oh, I can't Yeah. The, was it the, the firm? Yeah, the no. firm. Yeah, yeah. No, the firm wasn't no. Show Me the Money. Yeah, but the Show no. Me the Money one kind of reminds me of Paul in, in that, you know, that personality of, you know, do the right thing, but that drive, right? That drive that he had. But, okay, so now you got him. If you look at what's going to happen with AI and the possibilities and the craziness it can ensue, can't you do this as a series and like, you know, a series of books and then a, a, like a TV series or like a Netflix or Hulu series? Because oh, this you, is something could stream. I mean, and it's so relevant now. Like, 
Come on. You've anticipated my you've anticipated my next book because if you read to the end, of course, of Ariel's Island, it leaves a very very big question: what happens next? Exactly. And yeah. there is another book out there. Well, I hope there's more. You yeah. Know? But I, I do want the AI thing to tame down a bit, but it's not going to. This is going to be the new, this is the new decade of AI. It is. I, I really think you're right, and we've got to get it right, or we've got problems. And that really is the, uh, the upshot of Ariel's Island. And I, I hope all of your listeners get a chance to pick up a copy. Oh, they need what to. If, what if they get, they get in there on the voting machines and they change all the votes? Oh, <laughs> well, aren't the Russians that. doing that? I mean, uh, here we go. Here we go. The poli well, this doesn't politics and law come in, into play with this with AI too? That we need to kind of look at that as you know, you know, human beings go. Hey, do we want this? Do we want that? Shouldn't there maybe be some regulations and laws in place? I mean, that's kind of isn't that what the government's there for? Is some regulation, right. but we don't want over regulate. We want balanced regulation. Ha. Huh. <laughs> so the, the Trump administration just last week proposed um, regulations for artificial intelligence. There is a, a memorandum that the Trump administration um, issued to all the agencies in the federal government, and they try to do exactly what you say, and that is balance regulations so that it doesn't thwart innovation, but it also protects people from the harmful effects of AI. So that is in the works right now. Well, that's good. That's a, that's a positive thing. And I like the word balance in there because we do need to have, you know, these issues, even what's happening with the internet has to have some kind of regulation. Uh, just even on your internet speed, everyone, it's, we've got issues. And that's where I hope things smooth out in this country and around the world, because it's not just this country going through this stuff. But we well, need, um, the we European Union has more, um, I think it seems to be ahead of us in the regulation mm -hmm. of AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, just you I know, this is something, you know, remember Henry Bernanke, Nancy on the show all the time, he's, mm -hmm. he's a world traveler and a pilot. And we've talked about this whole thing about autopilot and people thinking that he's not really flying the plane. And he's like, no, this is a tool. Doesn't mean you're not watching what's going on, but now I'm gonna call him up after this and say, dude, how far is autopilot going? Right. Has <laughs> yeah. this changed now, you know, cause I think it, it, yeah, this is interesting. But everyone, again, Ariel's Island out on March 31st, 2020. Uh, of course, get in all those great places like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Bookstores, right? Uh, go to your local bookstore. Yes. I just always want to plug that. Go to your local bookstore and say, please get Ariel's Island in here. Absolutely. And, and if you don't, you know, you don't need to fly it in on a drone. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can, you can pick it up mule. in a bookstore. Yeah, it can come down on by a canoe through the Okanagan swamps. <laughs> That's how it can come through. But now, everyone, Ariel's Island out through Hearthstone Press. And of course, keep up with Pat. I always say go to the author's website directly so you get to connect with them and also on social media. It's patmckeeauthor.com. And we always love to uh, play music for our guests and of course you audience. And thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to play this song. It's from our good friends, Michael and Spider uh, from their old school band, Red Wedding. 
and uh, it just this is to me the perfect song, especially when you think about your writing, uh, you know, about AI and uh, writing, you know, in, inspired by the Tempest. Um, yet this has got nothing to do with AI, <laughs> but it's called fiction theater. So I, I've got to play that for you. So uh, thank everyone, you. thank you for joining us. Thank you, Pat. Thank you very much. This has been a lot of fun. It has. Yeah, Cool. I know we can't wait for the next one and for the whole series, you know, is it, which one are you, do you have a preference? You know, if it's Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, just, you know, cause I know they're all listening right yeah, now. Yeah, Right. They must be. And uh, no, I think all of them should get into a bidding war. Oh, I think that's good. That's yeah. good. That's good. Everybody <laughs> check it out. All right. Cool. Thanks everyone. Keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. Here it is. Fiction theater. Thank you. In the streets of